Good morning. Welcome. This will be a day like no other day. Because we haven't lived it yet. And we get to make it up along the way. Alrighty. So I'm going to sound our uh, chimes and invite you to just take that energetic of that beautiful song and what that creates for us and helps build the container. Eric Butterworth used to call it the power of the swarm when we come together. There's something that is powerful and beautiful beyond description. And so I just invite you to welcome that and be drenched in that experience. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for a spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so what I invite you to know with me, allowing my words to guide you, if they don't, just let them pass by. But I affirm and know what we stand upon as a spiritual community. Oneness, consciousness, and spirituality. And so I know at the depth of recognition for myself and for each person that is in agreement with these words, I celebrate in this moment, I open my heart, and I listen, and know that there is a flow of life that connects all of life. It is a process at that quantum field of energy. And so what I know in this moment is I turn myself within and open myself that what is seeking my attention? What I'm looking for, I'm looking with. And so I allow my soul to inform me through its intuitive nature. I know that I'm guided and directed. And even if I don't understand all of it, that is just simply the chaos of my egoic, reactionary mind. And I honor it and love it and bless it. Nothing to fix but just to understand and to let it stand aside for a moment and move into the spaciousness and possibility of what is seeking my awareness. What is longing to be healed? What is longing to be revealed? In and through and as myself. What is mine to do? What are my responsibilities? What is mine to carry and not mine to carry? What ideas am I harboring in a way that no longer support and assist me in living the, the richness and fullness of what is truly mine to express, to be, to know, and to understand. And so I stand in the mystery 
in the eager anticipation and the awesome welcome of that, living in that question and continuing to live in that question because the ongoing nature is ever and ever and ever expressing. So I stand in collaboration, I stand in faith knowing that something beautiful and powerful is happening right here, right now by means of me. That I open myself to celebration and unconditional love of self like never before. And I know that this day is blessed powerfully and beautifully. I notice my next breath. Knowing that as I, as I take it in, I let go of tension perhaps, of an old idea, of a new idea, but whatever it may be that is obstructing my understanding of oneness, obstructing the expansion of my consciousness and my ability to be upon this planet in that living not only from my physical nature but from my spiritual nature as well. So there's a marriage and a mosaic that is unfolding here and now like never before. For this I give thanks. I know that my consciousness has been impressed by these ideas and whether I say yes or no determines their unfolding in my life. For I know this prayer is alive and dynamic and continues to build in its influence to each and every person, myself included, that stands in agreement with it. It is a living entity. For this I give thanks. I release these words and invite you to say with me. And so it is. All right. Beautiful. What a beautiful day. It's finally warming up a little bit. Isn't that nice? All right. Whew. Man, I'll tell you, we earn our summers around here, that's for sure. So we are, I am. There it is. The place today is where love shows up. Our theme for the year is possibility. We either live in possibility or we live in resignation. And today it's the month of love. Next month we've got our, we've got our uh, uh, placebos here. We've got our candies that we put together and we're blessing them and praying over them. And each and every one of us that comes next week gets one of these. If there's some left over, we'll save them for you. So if you can't be here, though, I've got another 300 in a bag uh, back there. So... But the idea being that our minds are so powerful and creative. There's a book by Joe Dispenza called uh, You Are the Placebo. And we are. We are. And so many times what they've found, you know, medical research has shown people that have these extraordinary healings without any of the medications or, you know, that just seem to defy the odds. And so what's happening? And what's shifting and changing? And so we're practicing that. We're going to, we know, rather than sugar pills because it's uh, Valentine's month, we thought we would use Hershey's Kisses. I mean, there's sugar in those, isn't there? Last time I had one, there was, anyway. But the idea being that our consciousness is so powerful at times, that can, and, and our bodies know the intelligence within us knows. So we're not in this alone. And to open ourselves up to possibility and wonder, opportunity. So, so it's a wonderful thing, and I want to share just a few ideas with you today around this idea. So we're talking today about seeing with the eyes of love. Because what it is is about the consciousness of a thing. And I'm going to use a little bit of Martin Luther King's The Beloved Community and what that means because I think the time has come. In my heart, the time has come. And I want to share with you why I think that's important. But one of the things that my teacher told me over the years, over and over and over again, is to embody the consciousness of. Unless we do the shifting and changing at the level of consciousness, very little happens. So the consciousness of. But the consciousness of what? And so Dr. Holmes, in the, in the, towards the end of the book that we have, still have in the bookstore, a great little book called Discovering a Richer Life, he wrote this. He said, Jesus had finished the greatest experiment with life that any man ever made. There were no longer any doubts or questions or doubts, no longer any ifs, ands, or buts. He implied, this is the way it is, now go and prove it. This is the way it is, now go and prove it. 
And I love this about Dr. Holmes because he had felt such a connection with the Christ experience. The Christ is really the individualized expression of God in us. I look out this morning, I got up and I looked in the mirror, I was brushing my teeth, and Christ was brushing my teeth. Christ is sitting there in those chairs right now. I mean, that's the reality. That is the reality. Oh my gosh, I get the God bumps just talking about it. But isn't it beautiful? So what would it feel like for us to live in that more often? And it is that, that, that groundedness in, in the, our own spiritual divinity, our own spiritual magnificence. You are a work of art. Never, never been created before, never will be created again. And yet we have life experiences that, that create obstacles and things in our way, and it, but that's why we're here. We're here to have those experiences and then what it does is it, it's transformative. If we just showed up and everything was great and everything we manifested, everything instantaneously, we would be bored. In a couple of weeks, we're like, eh, I've done earth. I'm ready for something else. Ready for a new experience. He continues, Dr. Holmes. He says, we are on an adventure, an adventure. This is an adventure of self-discovery through faith. So where are we putting our faith? Where are we putting our beliefs? Because the, the infinite intelligence can only respond to what we give it. Good news, bad news. And we are learning the greatest lessons in life, that man and woman does not live by bread alone, but by a subtle power which flows through everything. Everything. A divine presence which encompasses everything. A subtle power that flows through everything. So I have a little slide here. Our adventure is one of, the, of self-discovery through faith. It's about oneness, that we're all connected. What's happening on the planet right now, there are more people awake and aware right now of oneness than ever before. Despite what it looks like, people know. We saw three million of them march a few weeks ago. It's just there's an, a, an awareness that when we start to see ignorance bubble up, people go, nope, not for me. I think I'll go march with my sisters. That's a good thing. It's a good thing because we're getting mobilized. I just love that little angel of God's presence, Donald Trump. He's getting people mobilized. <laughs> Don't you love him? It's the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life. You never know what he's going to say. I'm telling you. It's like, really? <laughs> that too? He makes stuff up. And he keeps making it up. I think he believes it. But, it, but we're all connected. We're all connected. There's only one of us here. But isn't it beautiful? We individuate, we separate, and we have these experiences. And for me, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always like, why? <laughs> why? And yet it is for the delight of the beloved, for the divine, for the joy. I mean, thank God we have senses of humor so we can look at this stuff and say, eh, I don't think so. Thank God we live in an age where we can disagree. And I realize that that's, you know, can, it can feel like really, really we're being impressed. But, you know, back in the Roman days when Jesus was wandering around, they would just, the, the, the centurions could take their sword out and kill you right there and there were no questions asked. There was no due, due process. You know, they could make up anything they wanted. So we've, we've evolved, thank God. And that's a beautiful thing. Consciousness, we teach consciousness. And consciousness is the sum total of our experiences. And as we shift consciousness, conditions change, but more than anything, our perception and the way we filter life and the way we do life shifts and changes. And that is so important, so important. Because it's so easy based on the race consciousness or the cultural conditioning to think that we're victims in this, that we don't have choice, and that people can harm us in some capacity. And sometimes that does happen. 
but we don't have to stay harmed. We don't have to stay victimized. And then spirituality. So I want to flesh those, those three ideas out uh, with you today in, in, a, um, in a context that I think is really valuable and important. There's a quote by Reverend Martin Luther King about the beloved community. And I think the time has come. He said, our goal is to create a beloved community. And this will require a qualitative change in our souls. So the quality of who we are in our souls will have to change as well as a quantitative change in our lives. So the way we do life will change. The way we measure life will change. And the qualitative thing I want to I begin with, because as the Dalai Lama said, and I would agree with him, we are the church of the 21st century. He has said that, he said it years ago, but our, our sense of inclusiveness, our sense of the sacred, our sense of the divine, our sense of oneness, of spirituality. I've mentioned to you the example of there's three groups on the planet right now, and we see them. One group is very, very alive spiritually, and they're running for the hills because we're all on hot coals with all the change going on. We're in an incredible amount of transition and change. So there's one group running for the hills because they know there's a better deal over on the other side, and that's cooler, there's shade, we won't be standing on the hot coals. And they are, you know, they push that, they're the early adapters of spirituality. There's another group that's running the other direction because what they know, they, their consciousness isn't there. So the first group is sensing and intuiting, intuiting through intuition a better day. The other group in the back is running backwards towards what was familiar for relief because the consciousness isn't there, but they know it's hot and they ain't going to stand here on these hot coals. And then there's another group that stands in the middle and they're the cultural creatives. They, re they represent our community and many, many communities. But knowing that if we're all one, those guys are heading for the hills and those guys are heading back for what's familiar to what they know. But we all got to go together. And let's stand in the middle and include everyone. That's the challenge because there's so many people that we just feel like, I don't, I don't want those guys getting on the ship. They're going to sink the boat. Well, we just keep them in the middle of the ship till they kind of catch up. You know what I mean? But the point being is that's what's happening in a, in a, I think in a, in a sort of a metaphor, an example of consciousness on the planet. So there's more light that is showing up now. There are more people that believe in oneness now than ever before. And our, our opportunity is to clear away the obstructions that keep us from living in unity. That's part of the challenge. This idea of separation. So oneness means we heal the separation. And the first place we do that is within ourselves. Why would we start a prayer with there's one life that life is God's life or source, life or creator's life, and that life is my life now. Because Ernest Holmes understood the path becomes more clear when we stand in unit of consciousness. Oh my God, God's life is my life. And I look in the mirror, as I said this morning, God is combing God's hair. And so with that, it's about the qualitative changes in our souls, first and foremost. And that is a, that's a whole different language and a whole different experience because we are so much driven by our personalities and our egoic natures. But one of the first experiences that helps welcome it is spaciousness. Spacious, relaxing, trusting, standing in faith. As Dr. Holmes said, it is an adventure to, of self-discovery based on faith. Faith in what? Well, wait a minute. I'm the infinite presence here, individualized. Okay, I'll stand in that faith. And sometimes our faith wanders. Sometimes our faith gets shaken. But at the end of the day, shaken or not, it's the truth of who and what we are. We are and have always been 
we are and have always been. You and I, our souls, are in this, this etheric experience of spirit. Always been. Always will be. We're the first people in history to grapple with this the way we're grappling with it. That's the good news. And even in our imperfection, the light comes through us. Whatever we do to ourselves, that light can still come through us. So the spaciousness is important. And, and, And the soul's voice comes through intuition. So if we don't create the spaciousness and the quiet, it's very difficult to partner with the soul because it's a whole different activity. But in our intuition, anybody here ever had an intuitive moment besides me? Yeah. That's the soul. See, the soul shows up. The, the frustrating thing is the soul shows up in, in glimpses. <sighs> I need more information than that. Well, okay, pay attention. And then living with, I think another powerful practice is living with open-ended questions. Living with open-ended questions. What wants to be healed here? What's mine to do here? And then having the patience, the willingness to stand in the mystery. What's mine to know here? What wants to happen here? Because many times we think we know what the problem is and the problem we think it is is not the problem. Something else wants to happen. But when we're always up in our, in our reactive minds having this experience, it's very easy to want to figure it out and label it and give it a name. So I want to share with you something from Deepak Chopra. That is a, he's got a beautiful book called uh, How to Know God. And in it, he talks about the soul. It's a beautiful book about understanding where we are on the, on the continuum of consciousness. He lays it all out in this amazing book. So this information is available to us. The, the leaders in this thought and in this spiritual movement are understanding that soul work is so important because it's easy to, to neglect it. But Deepak says this in the, towards the back of the book, page 279. He said, today I sat down to see if I could list all the invisible events happening at the soul level and the results inspired a deep awe at the, at the soul work going on with every breath. He said, number one, infinity is becoming finite. So more and more of the unseen is starting to show up and it shows up within us. I love that idea. The unmoving is starting to move. The universe is shrinking to a location inside of us. Eternity is taking on the appearance of time. Uncertainty is becoming certain. Isn't that nice to know that in this time of uncertainty? That this is just the soil getting turned for something new, a new crop to to emerge. The undefined is becoming definite. That which has no cause is starting the chain of cause and effect. Transcendence is coming down to earth. The divine is taking on a body. Your body, my body. Randomness is turning into patterns. The the immortal is pretending to be born. And reality is putting on the mask of illusion. So a lot of these are very etheric ideas. Kind of hard to track perhaps with our rational mind. But it speaks to the mystery of the soul and what's emerging upon this planet. He says, you share this soul work with, with the infinite, with God. You and I share it in the co-creation. It can be defined in infinite ways, but one version of God is that it is a process. The process involves bringing life into being. 
Science has its story about how life originated two billion years ago from a soup of organic chemicals. This soup, probably contained in the Earth's ancient oceans, was struck by lightning and began to boil into primitive self-reproducing nucleic acids, from which the long chain of evolution proceeded. But from the spiritual viewpoint, life is being created all the time through the kind of soul work just listed. So for that soul work to happen, some of those things are very esoteric and hard to grasp. But it's trusting and understanding this divine impulse. Dr. Holmes called it the divine urge. The, 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 the greater yet to be. But it's beautiful to, to find parallel literature about consciousness and what's happening or not happening. So the quantitative change in our lives. One is the soul work. What's the quantitative change in our lives? Well, what, number one, it's self-acceptance. Self-acceptance. And beyond self-acceptance, so right where you are and who you are in this moment, you are enough. You are accepted. You are loved beyond measure. No, I mean you. I'm talking to you. See, you're not talking to me. Yes, I am. Thomas More, one of my favorites, he has a book called Soulmates. And in the chapter on the soul in love, he said, for some people, he has two two of the the traps that we fall into I want to share with you because I think they're so poignant and important. Number one, he said that there's a defense in reading about psychology. Let the reader of this book beware. For some people, soul work takes the form of reading a chain of psychology books. Anybody here do that? That's your practice, spiritual practice? Each one giving a different picture of how life works and what is wrong with the reader. Someone should write a book about the psychology of psychology books. There's an idea, huh? Excessive reading of these books is a modern psychological disorder. We can become as excessive about that as we can about anything. And then that becomes our addiction. He says, frequently I suggest to people in therapy that they take a year off from reading. Reading can serve as a strong distraction from attending to the soul. Because someone else's ideas take the place of personal reflection. It might be better if each person had his or her own psychological lexicon, which which is a language. Which would be much more effective than borrowing key phrases from an endless supply of self-help manuals. Just saying. Sometimes that can become our distraction. One more book. How many more sermons do you need to hear before you start applying these principles in your life? Just one more. Just one more, preacher. Just one more talk and I'm ready to go. Well, maybe this is the one. He also talks about another problem with the idea of self-improvement. Is that it implies there's something wrong with who you are. Everyone who wants, wants to be someone else, but getting to know and love yourself means accepting who you are right now. And taking a stand for who you are right now. Warts and pimples and all. Only by loving the soul in its entirety can we really love ourselves. But how many of us start there? How, how, if I start there, I get up and I'm in the rational, reactive mind, that egoic mind, trying to figure it out, fix it, put it in a place, whatever it is. We all do that. And then you realize, wait a minute, something else wants to be given birth here. What wants to happen here? <sighs> what a relief that is. Because it's so easy to think I'm here to, you know, I'm here to fix everything I got wrong with me. Maybe if it's not wrong. He continues with this. He says that this doesn't mean that we can't hope to live a fuller life or become a better person. But there's a difference between self-improvement and the unfolding of the soul. In the latter, we don't take on an attitude of perfection. Rather, we draw closer to those things that we feel as imperfect and let them be the opening through which the potentiality 
of the soul enters into our lives. So maybe there's nothing wrong with you the way you think there is. It's both and. Could I improve this? Of course, yes, I'd like this to be different. But what is, what is at the deepest level, because it is the consciousness, it is the, and this is unconditional love of self, because if we're gonna love one another and we're gonna love this planet into a new paradigm and a new experience, we gotta start with ourselves. And it's not about an egoic love, it's about a deep grace and understanding at that sacred level of being who we are and whose we are. We are the infinite on this eternal path of self-discovery through faith, as Dr. Holmes would say, and faith in the idea that we're one, and faith in knowing that we can transform consciousness in a way that is meaningful and in greater alignment with this divine impress and spirituality so that we don't live a life separate. Oh, now is my time to go to Center for Spiritual Living. I can be spiritual for an hour. But to take it wherever we go it becomes our habitual pattern. So it is embodying the consciousness of. There it is. Embodying the consciousness of. Reverend Jim Lockhart in his book, Creating the Beloved Community, which inspired a bit of this talk today, said in his book, how we create a, a beloved community, a consciousness of compassion, a consciousness of love and connection. I know these are a lot, and we're gonna, I'm just going to read them to you real quick. You don't need to retain them. But they're qualities, they're values. See, we may differ politically and in terms of experience, but when we can land on values, values are really hard to argue with. A consciousness of compassion, a consciousness of love and connection, a consciousness of deep and radical self-knowledge, a consciousness of healing, a consciousness of vision, a consciousness of pioneering, a consciousness of evolution and emergence, a consciousness of mutual support, a consciousness of contribution, a consciousness of possibility, and a consciousness of resiliency. And he said, those are the containers, that's the consciousness that will give birth to the beloved community. And I think he's right on. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jim has been a minister in our movement for years and years. He's no longer in a, in a uh, uh, community, but he's been writing. He's, we're traveling the world. And he just completed this beautiful manuscript uh, based on Dr. King's work, Creating the Beloved Community, because I believe that is what's wanting to emerge, that, to create that beloved community within ourselves as well. And so this week I went down on Thursday. Thank you, Velda. I went down and, uh, to a movement at the uh, All Saints Episcopal Church at uh, 11.30. The room was packed, and it was a, it's an effort and an initiation or initi initiative started in 2015 called End Poverty Edmonton. And I went down and I listened to all these amazing speakers, and what it is is the, the, the city council, along with Mayor Iveson, created this committee and reached out to faith communities to be part of this End Poverty Edmonton. And their mandate is six ideas. And I want to share these with you because I think it's a key to the opportunity that is awaiting us. So their mandate is a group, and they have impacted 83 families since they started, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they're just getting rolling. And their, their mandate is to eliminate racism, first and foremost locally in Edmonton, to create livable incomes, affordable housing, accessible and affordable transit, affordable and quality childcare, and access to mental health services. These are the six things that they have focused on to help shift and change and mobilize faith-based communities to partner with. And I thought, wow, that is pretty cool. And I listened to various ministers from other traditions. 
I just talked to Deb Meville. She has had this idea about reaching out to the Muslim community, this mosque over here. And I thought, what a great idea. Why don't we bring one of their leaders in to do a Sunday talk? Why don't we have them here? I mean, we're a center for spiritual living. I think they're spiritual over there. Huh? Why don't we start bringing in other faith communities to share what they stand for? Why don't we open the doors up and say, you know what, if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we want to see vibrancy, because what I want to share with you right now, I think, is one of the traps that we can fall into. Because I've been doing this 20 years, and I've looked at our other communities, and we are in in really good shape compared to some of my peers in terms of how we would measure some of the things that are happening. I was guided to some information around community organizing, because I feel really called to that. There's There's a guy by the name of Saul Alinsky. Does anybody know who Saul Alinsky is? No? Okay, well, if you Google him, you'll find out that Saul Alinsky was one of the first community organizers in the world. And Saul was quite a rebel. He was actually a Marxist. But, and that's why a lot of the folks really don't like Saul and any of his descendants, and I didn't know that. But, but Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, Barack Obama was a community organizer. Well, Saul started in Chicago. And, and Saul was one of the influences for, for Barack Obama, who was a community organizer before he was a congressman and then president. And so he's considered on the far left because Saul just had a lot of ideas that were very interesting. He said, you've got to have a common enemy. So Saul would identify a common enemy. They would go into a community, and the first thing they would do is they would build relationship. They spent two and a half to three years just getting to know the leaders within a community where they knew that something wanted to happen because typically it was, it was uh, suffering economically and the buildings were falling apart and graffiti everywhere and gangs and all the things that you can think of. An example of it would be they went into Brooklyn and they raised enough money privately to build 5,000 low-income houses with no government money. But this was Saul. Saul figured these things out. So he, he has morphed and grown into something a bit more uh, sustainable now. It's still going. But with this thing, what they found out is that you go and build relationships, then you start tackling issues. But you've got to have relationships, you've got to have learning, you've got to have action, and then you have to have reflection. How's this working? And what they say about this community organizing, and we're a community that, that can be a better organized, I think, is that if you're missing one of these, you're not sustainable, you're not vibrant. And what I would suggest to you, my experience has been, we are very, very top-heavy with relationship. We're very, very top-heavy with who's our friends, Who's been here? Who's not here anymore? Oh my gosh, this is crisis, is one of the ideas. But in fact, what's happened is we're so top-heavy in relationship, we're missing the other opportunities. Someone came to me yesterday. We sat down, had a beautiful talk for an hour and a half because they weren't clear about something. We had a beautiful discussion. That's the learning. When we get together and we can have a discussion and it's open and it's, it's, there's a sense of collaboration, it's a beautiful thing. So that's part of the learning. So there's got to be learning in it. And then there's got to be action. And the action, the, the, the fulfillment that comes from action. We do the mustard seed five times a year. People love that. But I look at what's happening on the planet right now. The changes are going to come from the grassroots level. From you and I stepping up in a different way and taking action. So all of a sudden, we are, we are a community. Because I, you know, I had the Shrine 105 call me. I love their music. It's a contemporary Christian. They called me like two months ago and said, Hey, we'd love to invite you guys to advertise on our station. I said, well, great, let's get together and talk about that. I, well, you know, he's he's programmer for the, the thing. And about a week later, he called me back and said, you know, I talked to my uh, manager. He said, you guys would not be a good fit for us. <laughs> he was really sweet. But, you know, part of the mystery and the un, uh, un, misunderstanding about who we are is that we, you know, we're those crazy people who think we're God. 
And I said to him, no, we don't. I said, I think you're God. <laughs> and your point is? Well, what I'm saying is there's confusion. And so when we realize we take up a cause, we go out in the world and we help. You, many of you know what the reciprocity is with the mustard seed, how fulfilling that is. But all of a sudden, we become this group of spiritual activists, sacred activists in the world in a different way. It's not just about coming in and getting our, our relationship needs met. That's still got to be there. It's very important. But when it's right there, as, as Michael Gigan says in Going Public, wonderful book. He's, a, he's the, uh, he's the uh, ancestor to Saul Alinsky. But Michael Gigan says that if you're out of balance with that, you're not sustainable. And you're not fulfilling your mandate. And I think it's one of the areas that we, and I know, like, I know the, the, the Mile High Church, I know Michael Beckwith, man, they are mobilized. They are in the community making things happen. Because of the, why not take our consciousness out in the world and be more uh, dynamic with it? And then we can partner with the other Centers for Spiritual Living. We have our own mandate and partner in something that is more powerful and beautiful that all of us can celebrate. This is sponsored by Centers for Spiritual Living, whatever it may be. Edmonton, Center for Spiritual Living Canada. We stand for this, and we get to decide. But I think there's a, there's a richness and an opportunity there that we're missing. And so I love that idea. Relationships, learning, action, reflection. We teach oneness, consciousness, and spirituality. Dr. Holmes said this. He said, the divine incarnation is inherent in our nature. We are immersed in an infinite knowingness. And the question is, how much of this reality are you going to express, are we going to express in our lives? For it will, it will do only what we tell it to do. And so when we do our spiritual practice, when we settle in this spaciousness, when we listen to the intuition, the intuitive guidance, as well as the things that are informing us, I never would have gone down there if Valda hadn't called me. But I'll tell you what, I had set an intention about two months earlier. What, is, what are we called to be here in this community? And I went and explored. I'm not saying we're doing it. You know, you guys may come up and say, ah, you're crazy, I'm out of here. I'll say, okay, great. See you later, we love you. We'll be here when you get back. But the point is, is that I think there's something for us to know and to understand there and to be a part of in a bigger way. I think it's an opportunity. And the soul work, as Holmes is talking, is how much of this reality are we going to express in our lives? Well, if we're not in touch with it, if we're not in touch with the soul, how can we, how can we move forward more effectively? Because otherwise, it's just another good idea. Let's go fix this. All right, we'll go fix this. When in fact, it's an ongoing, ever ongoing, revealing the greater yet to be. It has to do, the soul has to do with depth, with value, with relatedness, with heart, and personal substance. Consciousness of compassion. Boy, did my teacher drill that into me. It's about consciousness. It's about shifting the consciousness of the thing. Because if the consciousness isn't there, we can come up with a good idea and it will just go off the rails eventually. It's not about another good idea. It's about a shift in consciousness. Awake and aware and how we can do those things. Good old Dr. Holmes. So love is within us. Dr. Holmes. I used this last week. I want to use it again because I think it is so beautiful. Love is within us. It cannot be destroyed. It's who we are, really. It can't be ignored. To the extent that we abandon love, we will feel it has abandoned us. Denying love is our only problem, and embracing it is the only answer. Throughout the power of, through the power of love, we can let go of past history and begin again. Love heals, forgives, makes whole. Paul Tillich wrote in, uh, he, Thomas More quoted in that page that uh, I read to you. Paul Tillich was a theologian years ago. 
And he wrote this beautiful sermon that is legendary from his Christian perspective that said, I am accepted. You are accepted. There's a beauty and a grace that lives within every human being. There is an amazing power that lives within each and every one of us. And when, as we do spiritual practice, as we do our own practice, and listen deeply, we clear away the obstructions that keep us from living in, in, in unity. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's our opportunity. So we continue to have our sugar pills up here. And I want you to just ponder this week as you set an intention. And if you're going to be here the following week, well, like I said, we'll, we'll make sure we, that you have one. In Abhijani with John of God, you get the herbs. The herbs are specific to you. Your sugar pill, your, your kiss is specific to you. But what is the quality? What is that, that, that sense of shifting? What wants to be healed here for you? Perhaps you don't know, but your soul knows. And so this is just a metaphor for that because we can do this anytime, anywhere. When we bless a meal, it is transformed. Do you bless your meals before you eat? Because it changes them. Thank you, Infinite Presence, for providing this beautiful, sustaining meal for me. It's a beautiful thing. Dr. King wrote more about the beloved community. I want to leave you with this today. He said, the king's beloved community is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. Martin Luther King wrote that back in the 1950s. I think it's time has come. I think some of the things we're seeing on the planet right now would indicate that. So how do, we, how do we live from that? How can we love ourselves so unconditionally despite where we are in life and the things that we would like to be different but understand, this is perfect. My, my, my flaws are where my soul can come through. That's not an encumbrance or something that's broken within me or I've got to fix and change but to celebrate it and realize I can still do this, whatever it may be. You know, you've been trapped in an addiction. Well, your addiction is just that you get to re- transform that energy and put it into something more meaningful and powerful and make a difference. There's a reason that we have people on the planet that have less. Do you ever think about that? And I think we miss an opportunity when we don't come into collaboration and share our consciousness and our love with the, those people as well. So thank you so much for being who you are. You're beautiful, and so it is.